So last time we finished up chapter 11, and today on Father's Day, congratulations to all of you that fit in that category. Uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. So we've traced the generations from Shem through Abram. Uh, we looked into, last time, we looked into Abram, his father Terah, and we learned some things. Both were pagans. They came out of a pagan culture, and they themselves were at some point in time. And that's really what the whole world seemed to be. What we see in the book of Genesis chapter 11, there's really not any indication of anybody who's out here being a God follower. Now, we're not saying there weren't God followers. Uh, we remember the time of Elijah when he said, I'm the last one. And God said, no, 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 I've got a remnant. And so God may indeed have had a remnant or something like that, but nothing that comes out of our study of what we see in the book of Genesis. Now, Terah had three sons. Uh, one had died earlier. That was Haran. And Haran's son Lot then was elevated to the head of the household. He became somewhat more of a prayer to prayer, peer to Abram. <coughs> And we also see that Abram took a wife whose name was Sarai. Her, she was barren, meaning she had no children. And if we looked at verse 31 there at the end of chapter 10, uh, it says that Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran, and they settled there. And if you had a really good memory, you would know that last week I had Haran a lot further south, or Haran. You know what? I don't know which one's right. The more studying I do, I can, I can find indications that maybe Haran was much further north, maybe not. But frankly, it's not going to affect our understanding of what happens here at all it's just where do I draw it on a map and I just picked up there today because this map was pretty accurate on some other things that I wanted to show you so I just reproduced this map so with all that said I've got a question as a reminder to us what what is it one potential reason that they stopped in Haran you remember yeah, the, when they left Ur, which history, archaeology reveals was likely a moon-worshipping place, a center for that, as was Haran. So maybe Haran felt like home, and that's why they stopped there. To say that with some sort of certainty would be incorrect, but it's an interesting possibility. Today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, the first nine verses. So I'll be looking for a volunteer to read that for us. Genesis 12, 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
the birth. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Mare. Now the Canaanites was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Nine. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Okay. So, um, is this the first time that there was a call made by God to Abram? Now that might take just a little bit of sorting out to find. So let's cheat a little bit and look ahead at one of our verses. Um, and it says to leave his father's house. And so where did where was Abram when he left his father's house? Where did he start from at that point? Haran. Because he went with his father. If you read at the end of chapter 11, it looks like Terah was really the leader of the group that left Ur. And so they go to Haran, and it's there that he really, quote, leaves his father's house. And we'll talk more about that when we get to that verse. But let's go over and look at Acts 7, 1 through 4. This is something we read last time, but let's read it again today. Acts 7, 1 through 4. And this is part of Stephen's um, presentation, speech, defense. You could call it a lot of different things right before he was stoned. So in the midst of his speaking about the truth to the people that are ready to stone him, and will indeed stone him in a few minutes, these are some words he says. Acts 7, 1 through 4. So if, if we're to, and we are, look at Acts and say, here, here is some God-given, God-inspired history there in chapter 7, um, it appears that some of what we're seeing today is a bit repetitive, that God brought this message to Abram while he was still in Mesopotamia before he went to Haran, and now uh, we're seeing it voiced again here. Or this was a recounting of what he heard in Ur, and he's going to be, that's going to be reinforced. But this is really the time when Abram's going to leave his father's house is when he leaves from Haran. Um, and so was Abram a believer of Yahweh when he was first called? 
And we could look at Joshua 24, 1 and 2 for that. Joshua 24, verses 1 and 2. I believe we talked about this one last week as well. Joshua 24, 1 and 2. So when he puts the plural in, they served other gods, it wasn't just it wasn't just Terah that served other gods, it also would appear that it would have been Abram and his brothers. And so let's stop now and take a look uh, at Genesis 12, 1 through 9. And in the first verse we say, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, to the land will I will show you. So when the Lord said to Abram, who's the Lord here? Do you know what name of God this is? Yahweh. Yahweh, yes. This is Yahweh. This is this is the great I am. So it, it really could have been read, we know it's the name of God, but it was I am said to Abram. It's the I am God. And when we get to said, how did he communicate that? Well, that seems obvious, doesn't it? When we look at the Old Testament, um, up until this point, we are not seeing prophets or men speaking to others on behalf of God, but God is speaking most of the time directly. And this word said could be translated utter, meaning something out loud, but in some fashion which God didn't choose to reveal in the book and in the many times that it says, and God said to, uh, we, we have to assume it's something that he could hear, but certainly it was clear. And so um, here is the great I am communicating directly to Abram that um, he was uh, to, first of all, go forth from your country. Well, what is his country? What's that? Yeah, you could really look at this a couple of different ways. At one point in time, you know, he is a Chaldean in the sense that he grew up in Chaldea, in Ur. So Haran is still related to that in many respects. So, um, so he's going to leave his, 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 the place he grew up. If I, you know, if we say to us, we start talking about our country, well, we could start and say the U.S., but for those of us that are still living close to the home that we grew up in, I mean, isn't, isn't home for you that place? I mean, if you grew up in a home that was always in Emporia when, and then you move off to somewhere else and have your life and career, I mean, you would say, well, I'm a Kansan. I mean, that's where it started. That's where it happened. That's where you, you, you went through the learning of life, but preparing you to be out in the world. 
But at any rate, he's, he's going to leave his country that he would identify with. And um, so he already started down that trip in following Terra um, when they left Ur. And he and Lot went along there in Genesis 10, 31. And the next thing it says, and from your relatives. So we don't have a big picture on who all this might incur. We did get Terah's family tree back in chapter 10, right? We know Abram has two brothers, and we know he has a wife. We know that he has a nephew, Lot, and Lot has a family. We'll, we'll see that later before we get done with our study of Genesis. And so Haran, one of his brothers, is already deceased, and so the only one we know of that's left in Ur is Nahor. And we see that over in chapter 11, 27 and 28, where it said that uh, Haran died. Well, see, we see Haran dying in chapter 11, 28, 11, 27 and 28. So we, we have a little bit of information about his family, but we don't know really the depth of what this might have meant to say, leave your relatives. But we are more clear in understanding the next part there of verse 1. And from your father's house. Now that word house can have a couple of different ways of talking about it. One is literally a dwelling place, right? We, we would understand that very quickly. Another one might be translated by the word dynasty. Uh, when we say the, the house of David, we know that we don't mean that the house of David was the castle or the or, or the compound that he lived in, we mean the house of David means him and his descendants and what he established in terms of his presence there in Jerusalem. So he's going to leave his father's house and depart from that. And so uh, Abram was asked to leave really all that was familiar for the most part. He's going to take his family with him, but um, where was he to go? Yeah, and so, you know, somebody came to me and said, I, I want you to leave Emporia and I'll tell you where to go. I'll show you where to go. Well, which way am I going to drive first? So there, there obviously is going to be some more interaction between he and God as he goes through this process of being shown where to go. And so he's going to head to a land, which I will show you that word land uh, can mean soil, can mean earth, can mean whatever. So in verse 1, we see a command of God to Abraham, and that is, go to the land I'm going to show you. And so that's the command for Abraham is what we see in the fullness of verse 1. Questions, comments so far? So as we look at verse 2, this begins some promises that are made to Abraham. And to start off with, he says, and I will make you a great nation. Now, with the use of the word ands in here, it kind of implies it's tied to his going. It's, it's, it's going to be something that God will make be a result of his going and following direction. And so when we start thinking about a great nation or a great people, in what ways have we seen nations and people so far in our study of the time since the flood. 
Okay, you have Babylon. We could say Babel would be the same thing, right? And who was the big dog in that era, area at least for a while? Nimrod. He was the first king, and the first time we see the word kingdom. Is that the only reference we have to nations? Go back to Genesis 10.32. Somebody read that for us. All these are the sands of Noah's sons, according to their generations and nations. From these, the nations of the earth spread out after the flood. So, um, as a result of the confusion that God brings into Babel, now that's coming up in the next one, they will also be separated out. We get that in chapter 11, the actual details of how he did that. But out of these descendants of Noah, we get the peoples spread out, and we talked about that, how they were there, some of the language studies that tell us about that, but how God spread them out into people groups or nations. And so being a nation's not a new thing. And so how is uh, Abram going to understand it when God says, and I will make you a great nation? What should Abram have thought about that? likely thought about that, maybe not should, but likely thought about that when God said that. Lots of children. Lots of children. I mean, right now the nations are seen through the lineages of the sons of Noah, and then some through more detail through the line of Shem. And so here's, no, here's Abram thinking, well, I'm going to be like one of those fathers of old in terms of having a lot of descendants and a lot of people. That's what nations were, that's what they had seen at that point in time. Um, what would seem to be limiting the probability of this occurring just through natural events? He has no children. He has no children. Sarai is a barren woman. And so uh, this is not not some sort of thing that he could sit back and go, yeah, that's kind of likely. No, that he was it was clear that if this occurred, it would be something more than normal. I mean, if you think about it, Abram's already 75, and we've seen the lifespans come down quite a bit, so um, that's uh, they were reaching the point where having children was going to be an unusual by far event. And not only did he say, I will make you a great nation, he said, and I will bless you and make your name great. And if you look at those, those are fairly nondescript things, aren't they? I mean, if God comes to you and says, I'm going to bless you, I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at, is it? I mean, you're, you're going to say, okay, that's great. But God didn't give a lot of details here about what this blessing would mean and what kind of greatness he's going to bring to his name. All Abram knows is I'm going to go and these are things that God has said they will do. And then when you get to the last phrase there in verse 2, it says in the New American Standard, and so you shall be a blessing. So when you look at that, is, how do you take that statement? Is that a result? 
Well, in, in reality, literally, if we were to eliminate the English words that we add in, which is a little bit risky, but if you were just to go back and look in the original language, it would say, and you be a blessing. That sounds more like a command, doesn't it? And so um, you can find commentators, scholars that will say, this really is more likely a command to Abram rather than just a result, that you're going to be a guy that brings a blessing. And maybe it has in it some of both. Most of the translators make it sound like a result. Um, the, uh, the ESV says, so that you will be a blessing. Uh, NIV says, you will be a blessing. Uh, and so if you look around at the various versions, it sounds more like just a natural result of what God is doing. But um, you could read it also somewhat as a command. And so here is God saying, leave. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to show you the land. I'm going to bless you. Your name will be great. And whether it's as a result of Abram's intentional response to God or God, the work that God does, you, he will also be a blessing. And then we get down to verse 3. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And we'll talk about that last phrase in a minute, but let's just take those two for a minute. What does that tell us about what Abram can expect as he goes? Protection from God. Why would protection from God be important? He's going to need protection from God. Yeah. A, a promise from God that says, uh, I will bless you sounds wonderful. When you would hear that today, what would you anticipate th how that would work out in your life? What kind of results could you say? What kind of words could you put with it? Prosperity? Probably so. So prosperity is probably a part of it. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be going hungry? Probably not. Sick? Probably not. Conflicts? But we're, I'm, ultimately, I'm going to win. Don't get in my way. I win. But uh, when he says... And I will curse, and one who curses you, I will curse. Well, wait a minute. Now we realize that God didn't just promise Abraham an easy roll through life, did we? He said, when, when you get into the difficult times, when somebody curses you, I'm going to be there to curse them back. And so, you know, here's, here's all of these things going on, and the cursing part, he basically says, when people bless you, well, forget the cursing part. When people bless you, I'll bless them. When people curse you, I'll curse them. And so um, it, it relates to Abraham and Abram and what happens to him. And when these cursings come, God will be the one to deal with the people. And so 
as Abram's leaving, that might be um, a, a time when there is some uncertainty and unknown here. I mean, if, uh, if somebody were to say to you, I'll be your bodyguard, and when people shoot at you, I'm going to shoot back, it's a little bit, why do I need a bodyguard? You know, what, what am I getting into here? And so there's a certain element of that. And then we ought to also talk about that last part of verse 3, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. What previous promise or declaration do we know from the history we have about what happened in the world throughout until our time? What other promise or declaration do we know this relates to? Well, okay. We know that it's going to be through this promise and through Abram's line that we are going to get Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. What previous promise that's already been made do we know this relates to? Go back to Genesis 3.15. Well, as they're getting kicked out. Genesis 3.15. Who wants to read that for us? I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, who is who's speaking there? <coughs> God, and who's he talking to? <coughs> Satan. 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 I'm going to put enmity between you and the offspring of the woman. God is declaring to Satan, you got a rough time ahead. And ultimately, he is going to, with his heel, stomp your head which is an appropriate end to a snake from my way of looking at things, but not all of you may agree with me. But nonetheless, what are we referring to here? Put my jokes aside that don't really mean much. Who are we, what, what are we referring to here? Eventually it's the cross. This is the coming of, of Jesus, the Son of Man, to defeat Satan utterly. And what we see over in Genesis chapter 12, we can see it. I don't know what, how Abram understood it, but in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just Abram's family, but it's because of Abram, John 3.16 can be said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life, no, no, will not perish. And so we can see that Abram is the means by which God is continuing to fulfill his commitment or his statements there after the fall of man in the garden but concerning how the, the, the woman's offspring is going to eventually defeat Satan himself. And so this is a continuation of God's promise there to take care of that. And we get to verse 4, and it says, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. 
So if we were to try to put ourselves in Abram's place, now God may have given Abram some more specificity that we don't see here, where Abram knew which way to go first, but there's a lot of unknowns, aren't there? I mean, Abram is not going out into a... a a, a vacation where everything is all mapped out and planned and on this day we're going to be here and on that day we're going to do this and so he is launching out into God's going to show me where to go and he's going to take care of me as I go now in one sense if you have a pretty good understanding of who God is that's a pretty certain thing to do isn't it but on the other hand, in terms of just the experiences of life, that was pretty wide open. Um, and so what does this tell us <coughs> about Abram and his attitude? What does this display? Faith. Faith. Absolutely. This is his faith. What does James say about faith? I think this is a wonderful way to explain what James is saying. James says, you show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by what? My works. Could we have said Abram had faith if he'd have said, well, I need a map first. I need this first. I need that first. Tell me all the events that are going to happen. No, Abram showed his faith in God. I mean, that's the only thing he's got to go on is God's promises. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to curse those that curse you. Yes, ma'am. Well, but is that where God wanted him to go? Yeah, I just didn't know if there was any I mean, well, question. there's a couple things we don't know. And, and that is, how much interaction or where did this interaction with God and Abram take place? Was it Ur or was it Haran? Could have been either at this point in chapter 12. If we follow through the way the pattern is in the Old Testament, it probably... Could, it could easily go to, to back to Ur because we get the details afterwards, you know. But um, the interesting thing is, if he told Ur, told him in Ur to go to, to, to leave his father's house, he really didn't do that. And yet, this verse just says, Abram did what God commanded. Now, maybe Abram knew it was okay to wait until Terah died. I don't know. I, I tend to think that probably this came after Terah died. But I, I don't know that. I can't say that. But it just seems to me like he would have gone more up promptly if he'd received all of this in the land of Ur. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I think you could also use words like uh, <coughs> trust and obedience. Yes. Okay. You know, you're, you're telling me what to do. You're saying I'm going to have a great nation. My wife's unable to have kids. I'm getting up there in years, and I don't know where I'm going, but... Okay. Yep. You know, so that that is blind faith. Yeah. And well, obedience. Obedience kind of lines up with me the way I was using the word works. As a matter of fact, I've got I've got down here obedient faith. I mean, that's really what I the way I would have expressed expressed it. That's really what Abram is showing here. Okay, you gave me direction, gave me orders. Here I go. You know, I I don't know all about it, but. I trust you, I have, I'm going to be obedient to you and exercise my faith. Let's go over to Galatians 3, 6 through 8.
Galatians 3, 6 through 8. Read verse 9 as well. So, then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And that really pulls um, the end of verse 3 back in Genesis 12 together with the first part of verse 4. This is describing what Abraham or Abram did. He obeyed obediently, and out of his obedience comes a blessing to anyone who is today a believer. And so we can see the beginnings of God blessing us happening here in Abram's life as well. Yes. Well, and that's the point of there at the end of verse 3, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just your family, Abram, but all the families will be, will be blessed. And so we see that coming to fruition and being expressed by the writers in the New Testament. There are many examples. The Galatians passage is just one. So any, anything else so far? So let's go back to verse 4. And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. So what do, what do we do with Lot going along? Because he, Abram was told to leave his relatives, right? So is this a violation of that? Huh? Well, we would read that and go, probably. Why might you say, do you have any evidence to say, no, I don't think so? And I, I think I do. And I, I think I'm going to say I don't think it was a problem. When one reason is, Abram is criticized for his errors as we go on. But there's not one word written in the Old Testament or the New Testament about how taking Lot was a problem. So I would say that when we look back up to uh, verse 1, we're probably being told you're going to be separated from your relatives in the sense those that are staying here. The ones that are staying behind you, just go on. Don't worry about it. He's essentially being told, you're leaving. It's a lot like the leaving and cleaving of marriage. You're, you're making this cut here, and you're leaving the ones there. They're there. I mean, I can't say that for sure. Might get to heaven, and God might say, no, I really didn't want a lot to go. I don't know. <laughs> but, but when I look at the scriptures, I just see nothing that says that he, Abram was criticized, that there was any disobedience. 
in the first part of this leaving. It just looks like a very obedient response to God in his direction. And you even see God, which isn't out of character, even if it was disobedience. Later on, we'll see God taking care of Lot, won't we? And so as we go through this, Abram took Lot with him, and we'll see later that meant more than just Lot, the single person. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so he left Haran at age 75. In verse 5, he took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and what? All their possessions they had accumulated, the persons they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So somehow God knew, God had made it clear to Abram that Canaan's the direction you should start for, I guess. Anyhow, that's where he went. And let's look at what he took now. All the possessions they had accumulated. So they weren't leaving destitute, were they? And all the persons they had acquired in Haran. What are we talking about here? I'm hearing two words pop up, slaves and servants. I, I think we've got to not be afraid of some of the connotations in our current environment, our current country and whatever, to recognize these were probably people that in one way or another had, had their wagons, so to speak, hitched to Abram and his company. Were they <coughs> voluntary indentured servants? Um, meaning indentured slaves? Were they hired servants? What were they? We don't know, but they considered themselves part. Abraham considered them part of his clan, and so did they considered themselves that. Abram considered them that. So here they are, part of Abraham's and Lot's group. I read one commentary that tried to say they were proselytes that Abram had called to God while they were in Haran, and I, I can't get there. Maybe, I mean, I'm not gonna say I know that's wrong, but it just doesn't look like Abraham is called to be a, to be a semi-evangelist here, um, calling people to God, but maybe he was doing that, I don't know. Barry. I forget where it was, but I've, I've just been reading, the, starting my study in the New Testament again. It seems like a lot of camps had, and for a better word, on. Yeah. You know, they just attach themselves and, you know, maybe I'll get some food, maybe I'll get some protection. They really didn't do much, but they hung on. Yeah, and, and part of why I say they're, they're employees to indentured servants or something, I don't know what to call them for sure, is that we're going to see things happen as we continue in Genesis about the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot, for example, buttheads. And, and there's never any talk about just friendly sojourners. It's always about people who are part of the, the business side of caring for Abram and his group and the business side of Lot and his group. Um, so I, I tend to think that this doesn't line up uh, with what we see in the scriptures. And they set out for the land of Canaan. We've already said in some fashion God has sent them in this direction or they just went in that direction. We don't know. And then it goes on to say, and they arrived in Canaan. Now, we get some further direction here as we go along. 
um, they set out for the land of Canaan. They came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Moreh. So I've tried to show you. So did he start here and go down through, or did he start here? I don't know. But we get to Shechem, and that's the northernmost city that's mentioned here. And we talk about the Oak of Moreh. What is that? Well, um, we don't know for sure. Moray means teacher. So it's the oak of teacher, or the oaks of teacher maybe. The Canaanites did tend to build shrines in groups of, in oak groves, in groups of oak trees. And so maybe this was a shrine that went along with some of what they were doing in Canaan either as worship or maybe it was a place where they conducted some sort of a school. We don't know. But we do know at the end of verse 6, now the Canaanite was then in the land. So he's in the area where Canaanites are when he's in Shechem at that point. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, so now here is the Lord back to Abram, giving him specific informa information to you and your descendants, I will give this land. And so he's telling Abram, you're in an area where you're, you are going to have some level of dominion and your offspring will have some level of dominion in this land. An interesting thing is, at the point of Abram's death, it appears, because it's the only thing that's recorded, that all he really owned was the cave where Sarai and later he too would be buried. So he didn't die with a lot of land ownership that we can see anyway. So what did he do? When the Lord told this to him, he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him, which is an interesting word. It simply means that he made himself visible or revealed himself, and that term appeared. And so, but he built an altar. So what's an altar? Okay. And later on, we're going to see altars were often used as a place, an elevated place, to do their sacrifices. So, um, so he built an altar to the Lord. We don't really know what level of worship he did there or how he used that altar, but he built an altar to the Lord there um, would clearly be an act of worship clearly be to symbolize his allegiance to the Lord. And after he built the altar there, he proceeded there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there built an altar to the Lord. So he went from this area of Shechem down to a mountain east of Bethel and it says he was between Bethel and Ai that he pitched his tent and built another altar. So that's where he set up camp for the moment. But he didn't stay long. But he built the altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. That word called probably is a little weak in the English. It could have mean meant, I've got some good... Um, other words that it might have been translated. Um, 
uh, could have meant to shout or to proclaim or to announce. So this is kind of a public, I don't know if it's public because anybody was around, but maybe he was in the mountains calling out on God, but this was this has some intensity to it. This isn't just a quiet prayer like we might think of it. Uh, he is there, and he is being intense in it. But he didn't stop there. Abraham journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And the Negev is down south east of Egypt, and this is really called the Negev Desert in, in most cases. So he went down to kind of a barren area. We don't know why, and maybe verse 10 is going to tell us when we get into that next week, now there was a famine in the land, so maybe he's hunting for food. But we're going to stop there with verse 9, but I've got a little more that I want to take us to. But as we do so, um, we realize that with this famine coming, <laughs> he's not out very long before he's starting to have some challenges. But I want to go to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. This is the faith chapter that we talk about from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to people that are Hebrew um, and Jews but are wavering in their commitment to Christ. There's a temptation to go back to their Jewish roots and the book of Hebrews is a can be a long and fascinating study uh, with a lot of a lot of excellent teaching in it but in this case we're, we're looking at where the book of Hebrews starts to describe how people of ancient times lived by faith and this is their description of Abram Abraham as he will later be called so let's read Hebrews 11 8 through 12 So as we look at Hebrews, this passage in Hebrews that describes certainly far more than the few verses we've looked at today, but we get a, we get a chance to look at Abram's faith. And as we look at that, <coughs> we realize that uh, Abram um, was, or Abraham, was obedient when he was called. That's a strong endorsement of the way in which Abraham left Haran, or Ur, as the case may have been. And what did he do? He went out to a place that he was to receive for an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. So that's partly why I keep saying, how did he know where he was going? But he went out, and God was leading him in some fashion. And he lived as an alien in the land of promise. The way that Abram 
comes into the land of Canaan doesn't change much. Throughout his whole life, he's going to live there as an outsider. But not just an outsider in terms of not being a Canaanite or not taking over the land, but also an outsider in that he is a God follower and not a pagan worshiper like the people in the land of Canaan. But he lived in this a land of promise, dwelled in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We need to understand that as Abram lived his life and went through all the experiences that we're going to see in the book of Genesis, he didn't go through those experiences with his eyes on this world. He went through those experiences with his eyes on where is God going to take me, how is God going to bless me, and, uh, and wanting the fullness of that blessing, not just merely the, an ease of life on this planet. And so he was not focused on, well, how do I get this ground? How do I govern this ground? How do I do all of the things that would be good, right things to do so that at the end of my life, Everybody will look back at me and say, boy, you are really somebody. Even though that's what God promised him. He would be more a man of high esteem because he followed God and did not worry about this life. But instead, as Hebrew says, was looking for that perfect place, a place not made with hands, a place made by God himself. And he talks about how their faith here in Hebrews led to the beginning of the Jewish race. He's, God has promised to him that he's going to have a large nation that's going to come out of him, that's going to be as his descendants, and it started with an only child. It had a false start, and we'll talk about all that as we go through Genesis. So Abram's pathway through this life of faith was not perfect. And yet it has seen, he is reckoned as righteous because he obeyed out of faith. And certainly he left with knowing that people would likely curse him or oppose him, or why would God make the promise? In some senses, he departs for a lonely existence, save for Lot and those that came with him. Some frustrations are going to come. But yet he continued to trust God and obey God. God had to make a few corrective visits. He had to send angels from time to time to do some things. Those angels may indeed have been, um, some of those may have been Christ himself coming. And, you know, um, Sarah's name changes because she laughs when she hears that she really is going to have a baby. And all of those things are going to happen but yet, God, Abram is seen as righteous because of his faithful obedience. So my question to us is, as we live our lives, I think we are going to see that some of the dreams that may have existed around us and in our own hearts from time to time about what it's like to live here on earth, what it's like to live in this country, what it's like to live in my family, go keep going down the list, some of those may very well be significantly challenged as we go forward. This is not a friendly world to Christ. Are you a follower of Christ? 
Christ said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He also said to be friends with the world is to be the enemy of God. Well, we probably, some of us that have enough age on us, that's too many of us in this room, can probably remember a time when it was at least at a surfacey level not only okay but even encouraged to quote be a Christian usually what that meant was you'd be a nice person and be nice to people but nonetheless those times look like they could change vastly and have already changed significantly and so like Abram we're looking at a world in which we will have to live as aliens if we want to continue to be followers of Jesus Christ and not only will we live as aliens, people will likely curse us. But also, like Abram, we have many promises. Romans 8 says, All things work together for good to who? Those who are called. We are called into the kingdom of God to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so we need to have faith. And how will we show our faith? clear, careful obedience. And so that's what we're called to. If Abram had not been obedient, would we be reading about him today? No. But Abram was reckoned as righteous because of his obedience. I think that's how each of us would want to be recognized as righteous. Righteousness that's found certainly. We have more information than Abram had. We know our righteousness comes from what Jesus Christ did by living a righteous life and then going to the cross. We could read Romans 6, don't have time today, about how we were crucified with Christ and the old self is gone, the new has come, how we are separated from sin, the sin has been crucified out of our lives, and the righteousness of Christ as we are raised with him comes to us. There's no better good news anywhere in the scriptures. And so that's a call that we see brought to Abraham but definitely needs to be clear on our lives to never give up no matter what the difficulties are no matter what kinds of limitations we find ourselves having no matter how difficult it is for us physically to go on that's what we're called to questions comments let me close with a word of prayer father we thank you for Abram to become Abraham we thank you for the nation that he birthed. We thank you that out of that nation, you caused your son to be born. Your only begotten, Jesus, out of the lineage of Abraham, and for that matter, out of the lineage of David himself. To fulfill the promise given as you reckoned with the sin of man as it appeared in the garden. And so, Lord, we thank you for all that because it is for us the only valuable opportunity in life. Nothing else will ever compare with the hope that we will be seen as righteous in your eyes because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and because of our faith shown by our obedience. Lord, we know even our faith comes from you and this power and strength to do our obedience comes from you. We thank you for all that. Let us never turn to the right or to the left but with all determination, focus on following you and enduring whatever we have to endure in this life that we too might know what it is 
to search for a home whose architect and builder is not man. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.